Welcome to Leadership Backstage, a series of unique conversations with leaders about their role today and tomorrow. Hi, my name is Tricia Schroeder-Hohenwald. I am an executive coach, an organizational consultant, and the owner of DSH International HR. Another podcast about leadership, seriously? Yes, but somehow different. Over the years, I have been involved in lots of discussions about leadership. What it is, what it is not, what it will be, what it should be, and so on. But from my perspective, far too little open discussions have taken place with leaders about this subject. This is what I want to change here. I want to give leaders a voice, listen to what they say, and see what we can all learn from each other. And also, I have worked with many great leaders in the confidential space of our coaching sessions. But this time, it's not a conversation behind closed doors. The leaders here have accepted to share their thoughts openly, and I hope you will enjoy this backstage view on leadership. I'm very, very happy to, to have you here in this podcast. Hi, I'm happy to be here too. Thank you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's nice to have this conversation with a friend and a professional. This conversation will be a bit different from the podcast that the audience has uh, heard so far. And this time, I'm not going to interview somebody, but I'm going to be interviewed. And uh, I've been working for and in organizations for so many years. At some point, I just thought that's a good idea to have a conversation on this topic. And that's why I asked my, my friend uh, Deborah to uh, participate in this conversation. Deborah, maybe before we start, can you introduce yourself? Yes, I'm very happy to introduce myself. Thank you. Um, my name is Deborah Barron. I am also a coach and a consultant and I work with leaders just as similar to as Drisia does um, and I also work with organizations on their organizational culture and um, have a very um, deep passion for the human element that we bring to work and how that creates success for us both on an individual level and on an organizational level. Thank you, thank you, Deborah. And uh, what I like also about about your experience is that you you don't have only an experience as a, as a coach and um, yeah, a consultant, but also um, as a COO. So you have also an operational experience as a manager, and uh, mm -hmm. it gives you a completely different view on this topic. And I thought the combination of both is very interesting. And um, yeah, and that's a particular reason why we are talking about this subject today. Would you like to, to say something about it or? No, go right ahead. Um, I know that, you know, you, you wrote a beautiful chapter to a book and I have had the opportunity to um, read it several times and we've talked about it. And um, I know that you wanted to spend some time talking about what you wrote and what prompted that chapter and to share with the audience the insights that you've you developed through that writing. 
A few years ago, I worked with a, a German consultant whose name is Anna, Anna Pries, and uh, with him and other consultants, we worked on a book. And the chapter I wrote um, on this leadership book and management book was about organizational development. And that was a subject that I chose to work on because I've, I've worked with so many leaders and so many organizations over the years. I wanted to have a very practical approach, a very pragmatic approach to this topic. I know there are lots of teaching also in universities around this subject, but where I come from is the leadership experience around uh, organizational development. Whatever served over the years is I found it so fascinating working with those leaders and in their organizations and and I thought oh my god they these companies have so much in common mm. they are all working doing the best they can to to develop their organizations to make the best out of the the organization and the company they are leading and they all have challenges of course and yeah. They are very, very similar. It sounds very odd when you look at the different structures and the different companies and products and countries. And you can either look at all the differences around the world or you look at what they all have in common. And I've, I've decided to have a look at what they all have in common. Yeah, and, nice. and this is the conversation that we're going to have. And your, um, your chapter was called Organizational Development for Leaders and How to Create Your Optimum Culture. Yes, that's the English version of it. The original version was in German and the German version is Die Führungskraft als Organisationsentwickler, which is coming back to the important role that leaders have in the development of their organization. Because this is, this is a function, of course, those top leaders, the CEOs, the head of departments, the, um, the entrepreneurs are busy with so many, so many tasks. And they try to delegate as much as possible, which is completely natural and logical from their perspective. But what I'm, I'm saying in this chapter is, dear top leaders, please don't delegate the task of the organizational development to somebody else, the main responsibility, the core of this function should be in your hands. And why is that? Well, there are so many reasons for that. It doesn't mean that the leaders have to do everything. They can get help from their HR department, strategic department, from consultants, from experts, from facilitators. They, they can get all the help they, they, they need. But the organization is what they have in their hand to reach their goal. Between, between their goal, their business goal, and themselves as an organization. And um, they will not reach the goal. They will reach the goal if the organization reaches the goal. And mm. If they don't give clear targets, if they don't communicate clearly, if they don't have a look at the kind of organization they want to have to reach the goal they want to reach, 
then the organization will lively phenomena. It's just this organization will go somewhere which may or may not be the direction they want to, to have for, for their business and for their company. Yeah, and and I've, I've also noticed in the, in the um, leaders that I've worked with that, they, that the people around them emulate what they see in their managers. And so maybe you could say a little bit more about that, about how their own actions impact the culture that they're trying to create. Yes. And when I say giving a direction, having a clear picture of the organization they need to reach their goal, having a, um, a clear picture of the culture they need to reach their goal, means also that they have to be a role model. It mm -hmm. It's not enough to say, I want this from you, dear people in my organization, if I always do exact, the exact opposite of what I expect from mm -hmm. you. I want more results, I want more communication, I want more agility, I want more speed in the decision making. I want, this is the typical needs that companies have at the moment with the speed of the market and everything that is happening around, uh, around the world. But if the leaders themselves who lead these companies are not agile, if they are not, they are not models uh, modeling the, the teamwork they want to see in the organization. If they are not creative and innovative and, and doing all the stuff that they want from people, then, then there, is a, there is a gap and they will not reach what they want because people are not stupid. They, they hear something and they see something. If it doesn't fit, they will stop and do nothing and just wait until the messages are clear. The and the, the verbal message. So you're saying that the, the leaders really need to, um, they, you said, you used the word role model, I think, that they really need to model the behavior that they're looking for. Yeah. And do you find resistance when there's a need for them to change? Sometimes yes and sometimes no. Um, it depends how they call me. Some leaders call me and want to change their organization, but they are not really involved in the process or they don't want to be involved in the process. And that's for me a, a clear sign of resistance. So we mm -hmm. need to talk about this. When I observe this, this kind of behavior, or I address it and I make it part of the process that I work with and work on with the leaders and with the organization. But some of them are well aware that the changes in the organization can only happen with them. And uh, so it depends on, on the level of consciousness. And yeah, sometimes I find people resisting and sometimes I don't. So each organization and each leader is different. What I already find is that it is sometimes more difficult. I feel more resistance when somebody has been in this position for a very, very long time and has mm -hmm. had certain behavior for a very, very long time and all of a sudden realize this organization has to change and it means yeah. that you have to change as well. And that's kind of a, it takes time some, sometimes to just realize, oh, I need to change. It means 
they will have to see change in me. What about my pride? What about what I've done all these years? What about how they see me and how I see myself? So there's a, there's a deep work of really rethinking and redefining your role as a leader. And sometimes it needs a bit of time for leaders to, to, to come to a point where they, re, they feel really free to redefine themselves. So how do you coach them through that process? Depends on the requests. Sometimes I get requests to, to help change the culture in a certain way. And we start with some job there and step by step, I, I get them more and more involved and questioning them and working with them and developing together something that will, yeah, that will make sense for, for everybody. So we start from the bottom and then, all, and then we take the leaders with the rest of the organization. And sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes the leader uh, call me for their own development, for their own reflection. So we start on one-on-one uh, conversations and then it gets more and more clearer and clearer it gets really more transparent what they actually need to do and what they actually need to change in their organization and then we go from the top down to the organization so the, so the deeper you dig the more you get to know them and then the more you know how to take them where they're trying to be yes yes yeah. and so I is there not sorry yes. is there an optimal culture it's hmm. a good question the, the optimal culture is the one that helps the organization to move on. And, um, and each one is different. It's like there's not the optimum development for one human being. And an organization mm. is um, it's like a living organism, yeah? It has its own past, it has its own history, its own fears, its own future. And so I, I work with an organization like I work with a human being, like listening, listening to the pulse of this human, yeah, human system. Yeah, well, and, and as humans, we do talk about how our history impacts us in the present and, and the future. And you do talk in your chapter about how history can impact culture. Can you, can you tell a little bit about that? Some... Each, each organization, like each human being, has got a history. You don't start with zero, except if you are a startup. And even as a startup, you start with a history of your founder. Mm -hmm. So, and, and respecting, respecting and acknowledging that the history of an organization is um, also showing that, yes, we need to do things in the future. Yes, we need to change a few things. Yes, the future is important. The present is important. But hey, we were not born yesterday. Now let's have a look at what we've got behind us. What can we still take with us in the future? Mm. We don't have to throw everything uh, to, the, to, to the bin. We, we can take things with us in the future. 
And does history impact um, resistance to change even when they want to change? Sometimes it does. Because of habits, mm. unquestioned habits, mm. because of some behaviors that have been rewarded in the past or punished in the past. So there's a memory in the organization. So yes, it has, it has an impact. Um, and sometimes they are attached to something they know. Yeah. And they think that just because they know it, it, it must be better than the future that they don't know. Mm, yeah, well, that's, that, that must be a common occurrence. Yes, there's something reassuring about uh, the past, even if everything was not um, always shining, but at least we know what it was. Right. Yeah. We like to think we can predict the future. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's something crazy because even... When I, when I encounter uh, so, so questions around the past, I just like, I question this as well, because what is the past anyway? If you have 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people in front of you talking about the past, they all have different stories in their heads about this past. They, it's not the same past for everybody. It's just stories about the past. Yeah. The and is that something that you... And is that something you run across when you're looking at taking a company into the future? Yes, sometimes. And, and what I do is I don't make it a taboo. Mm. Like we, we talk about it because it's in the head. Mm -hmm. And whether we talk about it or not, it's still in the head. So what I do a lot when we come together is everything that is in the head, take them out of the head to talk about it, to make it transparent, what kind of stories we have, to make about the past, about the future, about the others, about all these stories that are full in our head. And, and how, much they, how much space they take and how much energy, all these stories. Yeah. Well, and I would imagine the organizational culture impacts people's willingness to be open when you sit down with them as well. Do you find that? Yes. I encounter many different cultures of openness to talk and I have three kind of, let's say three kind of um, cultures I find in front of me. The ones that have been really established for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And, and they, they feel very solid. You touch them and you think, wow, they haven't mm. moved for a long time. And the habits are strong, the relationships are strong, um, the idea of how things need to be done uh, are strong. And, and then all of a sudden they are confronted with the change and that's something huge. It's like, oh my God, we've never done this. Sure. On the other side, you have companies that have introduced change so many times. Every year, a new leader, a new strategy, new direction, new structure, everything. So, so many movements. People are tired. So they like, oh no, not another project, not another leader, not another change. And then you come an organizational consultant and coach 
and you talk to them about change, it's like, oh no, we heard this so many times, yeah? Right. What is it that you want to tell us that is new and different from the rest? And in between, you have all the shades of uh, openness to change. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it sounds like there really isn't a um, a type of of change strategy, but that it's really customized to each individual situation. This is at least what what I see, and I know that uh, some um, consultants and change experts have their own method on how to do it, and 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 the process on how to go through it. And, and repeat the same model for every organization because they, they think that's, that's the way to reach a certain level of success. My experience is different. I like to look at an organization like your human, yeah, human environment. And if, you are, if, if I'm coaching one human being, or I coaching, I'm coaching one team, or I'm coaching one organization, the pulse is different, so I need to feel the pulse of this human environment and say, okay, how much speed, how much can I push, how much, how, are they open to listen? Not yet, so let's wait a little bit. So I need really to feel the space, to smell the space, to listen before I suggest anything. And we, we develop it together. We, step by step, we go into it, like in a coaching process, step by step, we know what to do next. So do you have any examples that you'd like to share with the listeners? Um, uh, there are many examples. Um, well, I'd love to hear a story about, you know, when you really didn't know what you were going to find when you went in and what you, what you heard from listening and then how they changed as a result. It's, it's so open when I get there. I just like Sherlock Holmes, like looking for, for things and, and, you know, just like discovering and being very curious. I have examples in my mind. The one is a European company and they restructured in the direction of integrating the different countries. So make a business case out of it and they knew that was the, the best thing to do to ignore the borders and really restructure the the, the, the organization so that really they could work across countries mm -hmm. they started to do that and, and and they really did a good job and a very very pragmatic and and very involved in the process but they were still not really happy with the results and um, and then we started working. That's why they, they called me. So, uh, and I'm, I tried to find out what is it that so you're not happy about what? So trying to understand what they were not happy about. And when I started talking to the leader, to the top leader of the team, and then to the rest of the leadership team, I noticed, oh, they don't have the same feeling about what they want. Mm -hmm. And it's really funny because it's a very, it was a very much number-driven and tech, technology-driven organization. And I'm talking about feelings. Mm. You know? Sure. But what was missing was a, a, a common feeling about what they want to reach and when they get a feeling of happiness with the result. 
Interesting. So what? So they, they did everything in an engineering and technology way, so very well-structured, and I'm, I was very impressed about the work they done, they, they did before, but then there was still this something, a gut feeling that something was not going right, and we talked about the gut feeling. Hmm. And how'd that go? Oh, that was beautiful. They... They found out, first of all, that they were not clear about the, the goal. So when are they happy with the result? So we're taught it's okay. So when will you feel you're happy with the result? They didn't have a common picture of a good result. Because they were talking about culture and integration, they didn't know how to measure it anymore. And were they able to find that space where they were able to agree? Yes, they, they, they were able to find examples of behaviors that would be satisfying. So, for all, okay, so if we observe this kind of behavior in the teams, then we know we've reached a certain level of integration and the processes are, are, are running the way we want. Mm. Or um, there was another discussion which was important, which was like, you, dear leadership team, how integrated are you? Oh, well, yeah, because once again, we're talking about example from the top. Examples from the top. So nice. they were expecting an integration and uh, teamwork cross-border and really there is no border across the, the organization. But in the way that we're communicating with me in the interviews, I noticed at the leadership level, they were still not completely integrated and they were still talking about cultural differences and in this country, in my country, and this and that. I was like, oh, okay. So let's start with you. What would, would it look like if you as a leadership team were integrated as much as you want your teams and the rest of the organization to be integrated? Because yeah. there's a spread around different countries and locations and all that. So to model, model what they want from the organization is, was one of the results of that. So how would you characterize the difference in the organization from when you first met them to when you finished working with them or today? It was, there was a feeling of oh, relief to know where these feelings is coming from. And they were able to, they were able to talk about their organization in more positive way, looking at what they have achieved and not what they were missing. Mm. So not putting as much pressure on the people they were leading because they knew where they needed to put pressure and where it was not required. And previously, there was a pressure coming from the top, uh, blaming and pushing and pushing and pushing, but without any direction, without knowing what, what do we want, actually. Interesting. So, so they started to, to bring interventions in the organization, which were exactly what the organization was needed. So there was a kind of lightness. It was like, you could, you could feel it. I talked to different teams and to the leadership team. And it was flowing again. The energy was flowing again. And how has that um, change in mood impacted their productivity as a company? 
the, a bad mood in an organization takes a lot of energy. Mm. This, this is an energy killer. And uh, when, you, when you manage to um, help a leadership team and the organization behind and the, and the, the teams below to work more peacefully together, more clearly together with a clear head instead of this feeling of something wrong and I don't know and maybe you're, it's your fault and whatever. Then, then the, you get a lot of energy free for creativity, for innovation, for cooperation, for supporting each other, for trust and all this. It's like that. It's like opening the door, like all of a sudden, so a fresh air comes in the organization. Mm, beautiful, yeah. yeah. And, well, and I think this is sort of leading us to, you talk in your chapter about how, how culture affects corporate strategy. Would this be a time for us to explore that? We could. So how does culture affect corporate strategy? The corporate strategy is, of course, made of tangible stuff. The so numbers and, and products and um, a direction that they see and papers and papers and papers and Excel sheets and but this all this corporate strategy paper and, and pictures and visualization and and all the stuff that every leadership team develops to guide the organization into the future. All this is developed by human beings. Right. It doesn't come from the Excel sheet. Who, who fills the Excel sheet? Who, who does the PowerPoint? Who puts the numbers? Who puts the names? And, the, and who shows the direction? All human beings. I haven't seen any robots doing that yet. <laughs> so we'll say, right. we'll see. I don't know about the future, but at the moment, they, it's still, the strategy is still in the end in, in the hands of the human beings. If those human beings are not working well together or are working well together, if they trust them each other, or if they don't trust each other, if they have a culture of saying what they think, or they have a culture of fearing their CEO. And mm -hmm. so it's all, it's all culture. It's all human behavior. It's all emotions. It's all this. It will impact immediately the the strategy so we started the conversation by pointing to what's the same in in so many companies and would you say that there is an a an ideal organizational culture that runs across all companies i think um what what runs across all companies is that people do their best when they are at their best mm -hmm. and you get that the more positive energy you have in a company the more likely 
you will be as an organization and as a leadership team to get the best out of your organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't mean that you will be successful because success is not only depending on the culture of the company. There are so many other factors and market factors and competition and, and all this stuff. But if you have a culture of trust, of innovation, of supporting each other, of human beings being at their best, yeah. you will be most likely to get the best out of whatever you're doing. You, you also talk in, in the chapter about communication and humility. What do you mean, what do you mean in, in those sections, in those areas? Um, I, I mean two different things. The first thing about communication is between, between you as a leader and your organization, one of the most important instruments that you have to influence your organization is communication. You mm -hmm. have to actually, you have uh, your modeling, what you want. So being a role model, that's one instrument that you have. Mm -hmm. um, being the change that you want to see in the world. Mm, right. And the second one is taking people with you through communication. Com inspiring them, convincing them, explaining, being present, understanding, listening to what they say, that's all communication. So yeah. one of the strongest instruments that you have as a, as a top leader is to really understand the importance of communication and to use it properly. And what, what does that mean to use it properly? To understand what communication is. What is communication? You have a sender and a receiver. You have somebody talking and somebody listening. You have somebody trying to convey a message and you have to, somebody interpreting the message. Mm -hmm. you, have, um, you have to be convinced yourself when you have the tone of your voice. Are you really convinced when you talk about something? Is your team mm -hmm. aligned? Do they all talk about the same when they talk? And are they all convinced? and convincing in the way they communicate with the organization. And, and that's, that's using it appropriately and using and understanding what the, the, the skill of communication and using it uh, for the, to support your organization, to push your organization further and so on. Yeah. Well, and you, you gave that example of the company that they they thought they were communicating well and yet they all had they had a sense that things just weren't quite right and that you brought them together and you really it sounds like you spent a lot of time recognizing that we all sort of live in very different realities and so we might be in the same circumstance and we may be seeing things very differently and it would seem to me that that plays into communication so how do we communicate in a way that recognizes that we're all coming into a situation with, in, with our own perspective and then come to a point where we can all see things together. Yeah. 
it needs a lot of um, uh, a lot of humility. That's why I brought the subject of humility mm-hmm. because um, the, an organization does not react like a machine, and you cannot press a button, and it the organization and the people in this organization will do exactly what you want. So it's an interactive process between you and you and the people that you lead. It needs listening, really deep listening. Mm-hmm. How, do you teach, how do you teach people deep listening? I, I'll come to that, but I just, um, it needs deep listening and it needs also the humility for you as a leader to say, I don't know everything. I am glad I have good people around me and I have a good organization with intelligent people. So I will ask them, I will see what's going on and, and we will learn together. And we will develop and move together. We will learn together. They will learn. I will learn. And together we will come somewhere. That seems so unbelievably important and yet so rare. Yes. And, 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 and that's the paradox because you need, you need on the one hand humility and on the other hand self-confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As, as a leader of this kind of organization because you cannot go there and say, I have no clue, I know nothing. Because if you have no clue and know nothing, why are you there? Right, sure. So, but on the other hand, if you come there and you have thousands of people to lead and you have the feeling that you know already everything and, and you know better than everybody else and you push and push and push in this direction, there's a lack of humility there, which is dangerous for the organization. Yeah. So finding the right balance is the key to success. I've actually um, done some reading where I've heard it described as the balance between the masculine and feminine, the masculine and feminine in all of us, that the necessity to impart and the necessity to receive and the essential nature of that balance yeah well that's beautiful that you bring that because i'm a woman and in this role I, I work with a lot of men and sometimes i have top leadership teams where there's maybe one woman and sometimes i'm the only one right and this dynamic this balance between the feminine and the masculine is something i i feel very strongly in me Sometimes I push, sometimes I pull, mm-hmm. sometimes I'm soft, sometimes I'm really tough. I need, I need to have both energies working mm-hmm. with them. And depending on the kind of team I've, I find, when there's lots of masculine energy in the room, I need to balance it. Mm-hmm. Recognize this masculine energy and, and they test me. They mm-hmm. test my masculine side. They push and pull and really just to say, okay, how, how strong can she <laughs> Yeah, they really do it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sometimes 
I've learned along the way. At the beginning, I was a bit surprised about this, but then I, I, I recognize at some point it's a natural process. Mm. But then when they have tested my masculine side, they welcome my feminine side. Very nice. They were just relax. They know, okay, if they need it, there is this side in me as well. And then they can open up to their feminine side as well. So opening up and then it comes to the listening. Yes. And then it comes to the listening and then they let go and they can, they start listening more. I, we can do exercises about listening of fools, but sometimes I give them feedback. It's just like, wait, 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 we are too fast here. So wait a second. Did you listen? Did you hear something here? When I hear something and I feel they didn't, I just stop the process. I'm like, let's have a look at what's going on here. So just reminding them. Yes. Listening is part of the process. Yes, listening is part of the process. Beautiful. So what's your ultimate goal with your clients? Oh, I'm, I'm a bit of a... But if I'm very, very honest, my personal goal is to make the workplace a better place to be and to live and to be together and to connect. And, and I know when, they, when the people are connecting and listening to each other and when there's more positive energy in the organization, the rest will follow. Yeah. Because they are all intelligent people who know why they get paid for and what they get paid for. They know that they need to, to reach their results. They know that they have numbers to, to bring. They know the products. They know the client. They know all this. So my, my task is to help them get this energy, this positive energy, and open up and free this, this positive energy so that they can do the best work they, they have to do. Do you, do, you, do you feel that there's potential in everyone? Or are there some people for whom they, they, you know, sort of max out or maybe, maybe don't have that caring? Or does everyone really have it? I, I really think that we as human beings, we were born with that. Mm -hmm. And we all have it. Mm. We, we really all have it. But sometimes I encounter leaders and organizations who have forgotten that they mm. have yeah. And that out of habit, out of culture, out of many, many reasons, we have developed a way of being together, a way of behaving, of communicating, of working together that does not take into consideration that beneath all the noise in our heads, there's something very positive that wants to, to express itself, that wants to be there. And when, and when I really see that through each of my clients, then they, they at the end, they see it themselves. Mm, beautiful. Yeah, there really is something about seeing it, having someone see it in you that brings it out in you, isn't there? Yes. Yeah. And, and really taking and respecting the pain the difficulties and everything that they bring because that's really yeah whatever they are bringing is respecting that's their current reality but it's not who they are 
is what they are experiencing at the moment and who they are can do so much more. Mm, yeah, yes. And we, and we hold that mirror up in front of people and really allow them to blossom. Yeah, yeah, there's so much. There's so much you can reach. And um, I, had, I had a very touching uh, experience recently. Um, I had an experience of a team who's been struggling for, for a long time. And, um, and then, um, yeah, they, they, they came only with problems in their head. The mm -hmm. list of problems they gave me when we had our first interviews and the first conversation were full of seeing only the negative. They had lost track of the positive and the possibilities and who they really are behind and below <laughs> the noise. They have lost, they forgot about it. And, uh, and step by step, one conversation after the other, they let go. And it was amazing to see them. At the end, they were just like, they didn't need me, need me anymore. I just let them work because they, they knew everything. They knew what to do. So there was so much energy in the room. They were just doing stuff. Yeah. And imagine if we, bring, if we can bring that energy to more and more workplaces, what we can create in this world. And I had a, I had a, a speech in front of an organization of, 70 people 80 i can't remember exactly how many people were really there because they announced 80 and don't know at the end how many people were there and um very anxious uh organization because of restructuring that uh, that were planned and and because of some uh, mergers acquisitions that were that were announced and um and reminding those people i had a keynote and reminding those people, all of them, you can fly. Yeah. Remember, you were birds. You have you, you can rely on your own energy, you can rely on your own knowledge, experience, and intelligence. Did, did you forget that you're birds? You don't yeah. need the branch, you don't need the, the, the tree. It's nice. The birds are relying on the trees to relax sometimes and to, to look at the at the landscape, but they know at all time that they can fly. They rely on their wings. Mm, yeah. And, and bringing this energy into an organization is the most beautiful thing that we can do in our job. Yeah, it really creates limitless potential. Yes, yes, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. both on the individual level and on the organizational level. Yes. Yeah. So, what else would you like to share that I may not have asked you about today? Just, just a message to the leaders who are listening uh, is, wow, what a beautiful job you're doing. Mm -hmm. and I, like, there's so much to learn. Just enjoy the learning. And um, if you can find a balance between humility and learning and your self-confidence and what you bring and what you know, that's so your organization will be thankful and uh, you, will, you will see people thrive around you. Yes, that's a beautiful message. Yeah, thank, thank you. you.
Yeah, thank you so much for including me in this today and letting me speak to you about this. And it's just a topic that you're so passionate about and we share this passion and I just feel really honored to be in the conversation with you. Yeah, thank you very much, Deborah. That was lovely to talk to you about this. And um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. I, I, I really look forward to what's going to come to uh, happen next with uh, also with, with us both as uh, in our friendship and our professional development. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. That was another edition of Leadership Backstage. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. And if you want to know more about me or have a conversation with me, you can get in touch via dsh-internationalhr.com.